praise, isn't he? Amen. Amen. It sure is good to be back in the house of the Lord again this morning. I want to welcome each one here, and God bless you, and welcome and welcome the visitors as well. I've seen Brother Ben and Sister Sonata sitting back there. God bless you. Good to have you with us this morning. Amen. Amen. Someone to come keep with the Josh company. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you to the Musicians, Brother Jeffrey, God bless you. Turn to the book of Revelations with me, if you would. Revelations chapter 6. Very familiar scripture to any message believer who knows this is the age the seals have been revealed, been opened up. And Amen. And I just want to make a couple of announcements while you're turning. I just, there's a, just a reminder to the young people that are going on the ski trip. There is a, a waiver just to sign. It's in the general office there. Everyone that's coming needs to fill one out. Um, so just be aware of that. And I also just want to say um, from the family of, of Sister Erna, Erna McCormick, who's gone to be with the Lord. And we had the funeral here yesterday, the memorial service. And the family's written out and said, please thank the believers and the church and everyone who came and supported for the, uh, the building here, the use of it, and for the flowers, the bouquet. I, they wanted to express their gratitude to all of you. 
Say, maybe I wasn't here. You're a part of it by representation. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Revelations chapter 6 and verse um, 7. It says, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the beast, of the fourth beast, say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto him, unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. How many want to just raise your hand before the Lord this morning and say, remember me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, how we love you so much, Lord. And Lord, there is truly none like you, Lord, and your name is worthy to be hallowed, worshipped, and lifted on high, Lord. And Father, for without you, Lord Jesus, we would be of all men most miserable, Lord, wandering about, going to and fro, Lord, and Lord, from pillar to post, not knowing how to find the truth. But, Lord, you shone a light in this age. You said there would be light in the evening time, Lord. And we thank you. You've brought us to that light, Lord. And allowed us, Lord, to have a lamp to our feet and a light unto our pathway, Lord. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, for each one that's gathered here this morning. Lord, you see every hand that's raised, Lord, every one that is desiring, Lord. I believe beneath that, that hand is a heart that needs more of you. Lord, no matter what the need or problem may be, Lord, more of you would solve every problem we ever have, Lord. For, Father, if we could just be lost in your presence, Lord, and to have your revelation, Lord, over and just overflowing our lives, our souls, our hearts, our spirits, our minds, Lord, our Father, we could give our all to you, Lord, and worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and live a life, Lord, that would be overcoming of every devil there is today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us revelation. Lord Jesus, we need more of it this morning. And I pray, Lord, as we approach your word of grace this morning, Lord, may you make it real to our hearts, Lord. We just commit all things into your hands now. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray you'd have the preeminence. Amen and amen. 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 We already read the scripture, didn't we? I'm lost where I'm at right now. You can have your seats. Amen. Amen. As we read this scripture, it's, it's, it's a, a sobering scripture, really, if you read it with closed eyes, spiritually closed eyes, to see that there be a beast. We know that this is today. This is the fourth horse rider or horse that went forward, and the name of him that rode upon it was death, and hell followed after him. And this writing today, we're not looking for some, I'll say, supernatural viewpoint of some great pale horse passing through the sky or some great thing, but we know it's happening today because we had a prophet that said, it's here. But there was a beast that said, come and see, and the beast that said, come and see, was not a pale horse. The beast that said, come and see, was an eagle that began to speak out in this age and said, come see what's being revealed here. There was a beast that talked about the first seal, a beast that talked about the second, the one that talked about the third, and we know what they are. But in this, I just want to take a step back and notice that 
um, as, as this, this horse rider and this horse is revealed, it's a pale horse, it's a mixed creed. It's all three that have gone before all mixed together and come in the might of Satan's power to come against the true word of God, to come against those that would be elected and called in this day and age. He's against, and we know that we're living in a time where the demons that were bound in the river Euphrates have been loosed and they were loosed against the Jews, but they're also loosed against the bride of Jesus Christ. And Satan has said so many years to perfect his tactics in order to bring himself to a place where he feels he might finally win a war, but he's already lost. Amen. And as, as, we, as we approach this this morning, I, 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 I don't know how far we'll get, but really what I'm speaking on, and I want to take a title of eternal life, knows no defeat. And if we could start with this in the fourth seal, Brother Branham would take and he would talk about it and say, Jesus Christ, first coming as a mortal, he comes three times. Jesus comes three times. Christ is in three, that's his perfect number, but he says, see, watch how he, referring to the devil, comes in four. First horse, second horse, third horse, fourth horse. Four is not a great number, but watch Christ. He says his first coming, he come mortal to bleed and die. Is that right? That's his first coming. His second coming is the rapture, which the rapture is not the catching away. That's the body change. The rapture is the process that we're in right now in, in, in taking the book and eating the book and allowing that book to live within us. That is the rapture that it's talking about. Amen. And it says that's his second coming. So in other words, he's here. And, and, and it says, and in the end of that, we go to meet him in the skies, immortal. That's the body changed. But his third coming, he is incarnate God. Amen. God, Emmanuel, to reign on earth. That's right, only three. But the fourth stage of the rider, the fourth seal, watch, the fourth stage of the rider is called death. And death, we know, means eternal separation from God. Death is not something that is new in this generation, that has just come out in the last age, but we know it has existed ever since the fall. That death has become and begin to set in and begin to, people die and they, they, they live. But unfortunately, we're living in a day and age now where people live with the sole purpose of dying. Where they say, everyone dies on some day. But I want to tell you this morning, and I believe you know this down in your heart. Believers, saints of God, do not die. They sleep, they don't die. Amen. But this death means eternal separation from God. In other words, it's a spiritual death. As it says, death is his name. And they were given power to kill with the sword and with death over a fourth part of the earth. But we know that, that they were given this. He was given this power. But that's what this death means is eternally separated from God. What a horrible place to be. I'd much rather die in my flesh than to be eternally separated from God. But I want to say this, eternal means that it never had a beginning. Hallelujah. It never had a beginning, it never had an end. Therefore, in order to be eternally separated with God, you had to never know Him or be known of Him. In other words, the only way you could be separated from God eternally is if you were never in His mind in the first place. But if you're in His mind in the first place, you cannot be a partaker of this death because you cannot be eternally separated from God because you were there in the beginning. Amen. Amen. But saints, he says, don't die because he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath eternal life. That's right. And they shall not come unto judgment, but have passed from death unto life. 
Amen. Fear not, he said to the little, to Lazarus, even Lazarus was dead. He said, Lazarus isn't dead, he just sleeps. Because Lazarus had a promise. He was looking to Jesus and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that he was the resurrection and the life. He said to the little girl, Jairus' daughter, she's not dead, but she sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. Because in the best of their knowledge, to them that was the end. But there was somebody there that was present that said, no, you don't understand what life really is. That life is not living and breathing in the first three dimensions. That's not life. And I'll say it, having unlimited access to a fourth dimension is not life. In order of being able to pick this up and being able to surf an internet and be able to watch on television, be able to uh, have uh, contact with spirits, evil and good, that's not even life. But life comes from God himself. God is life and that goes right up into the seventh dimension. So in other words, if you're a partaker of eternal life, you've tapped into a dimension that de the devil has done been kicked out of and knows nothing about. Separation from God is death, eternal death. Amen. So this fellow called death, Brother Branham says, you just keep away from him. Amen. Well, that sure seems easy, doesn't it, right? Just stay away from him. But he's a shrewd one. You can run from him as hard as you want, and he likes to show up around every corner and entice you and tempt you. And we know this spirit, I want to just take a look at, at some of the tactics of the enemy this morning, and then we'll get into the, where we want to go, Lord willing. And I, I just, you're just with me and be attentive this morning. But the spirit today is, is, is rampant. The spirit of death is rampant in the world order today. In the world cosmos today, it's, it's on death on every hand. For a people, you know, the, a world that is so consumed and caught up with extending life expectancy. Because to them, this is life. So how can they make themselves live longer? And how can they extend their life expectancy? But God said it's 70 years. Anything beyond that is just grace. Amen. And they, they, they have their medicine that they can try and keep people alive for years and years and years and years. And to those, there's some that, yes, there is a reward to living a good, clean life. And you could live longer. As, as we talk about, uh, there's been news articles and people talk about how did you live 100 years, 105 years? Hey, well, just don't get angry. Don't get mad. Just, you know, take it as it comes and live a good life. Live clean. Don't do these things. Don't do those things. And somehow they seem to extend their life in some way. They're living on the grace of God. Amen. Allowing the God, allowing them to extend on. But there's those who don't make it to 70 years. Because there's a spirit in the world called death. And, and, he, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's not just as much as it's eternal separation from God. The Spirit, it, it wants to overtake the world today. And each horse rider that went forth overtook the known world of its day. With the Spirit that went out, and there came out a red horse under the second seal that went out. And then Catholicism rose to great power throughout the known world. And the Roman Empire pushed it to all different reaches. Why? Because it was a spirit that was driving them to bring the people to subjection, to say, you have to worship the beast. You need to worship what's going on here. But rather, there was a spirit already in the world that God was overcoming it with. And we'll come to that. But it says, but I want to just take notice of this. For a people that are called to eternal life, it's a battle every day. Because the spirit that's out there is death, and the spirit that's in us is life. 
So there's a constant uh, conflict, and the laws of our society are even trying to at least dictate a life that you mind your own business. <laughs> Don't think anybody else is wrong. That, that doesn't sound familiar at all. People can live any way they want. They could choose any gender they want. You can't tell them they're wrong. How dare you say something against them? How dare you stand up? How dare you say, oh my, it's the laws of the age. Why? Because it's death that's moving in to try and say, you need to just be an island unto yourself. You need to not ever tell somebody else they're wrong. You need to not ever correct anybody. You need to not ever help anybody unless you're just saying they're a great person. No matter what they've done in life, no matter where they're at or how good or how terrible they are, you're a good person. That's what they want. The Brown says, oh my, they, they, they want equal rights, but he says in most cases they want more rights. They wanted that in women's. They said, we just want equal rights, but now they want more rights. They want it with transgender. We just want equal rights. No, they want more rights. They want to try and get it so they can push and push and push. Why? Because it's death is rampant in the world because they don't want, because what is eternal life? Brother Branham says, what is eternal life? It's living for others. So why wouldn't death just turn around the other way and say, you can't live for others. You need to live for yourself and yourself alone and look out for number one. Leave everybody else alone no matter what they're doing, good or bad. Leave them alone. Oh my. And to speak against it is becoming less and less popular and it's even becoming shunned to the point where now they'll cancel it. You can't speak against the, the popular lookout of the, 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 the opinion of the day because it's death riding out. And death, by essence, is the opposite of life. And God is life. As the Bible says in Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. That's very much opposite of where the day and age we're living in, where they want to esteem themselves better than everybody else. And I'm over you, and I'm going to be the best. But he says, don't do that. Rather, esteem others better than yourselves. He says, and look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The mind, let the mind be in you, which also was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, that's the mind that Christ Jesus operated by when he was here on earth. He wasn't living for himself. His entire purpose of being here was for everybody else. Past, present, and future that he was here for a purpose of redemption to redeem us back to himself. It wasn't about him. He wasn't here to show his great glory. He was here to show you that he could redeem you back. And by doing so, it did show his great glory. Amen. Because he came to live a life for others and show us that this is the example life of how to live a Christian godly life. Live it completely for others that he would even say to the disciples when they said, we're going to come with you and we want to be. He says, the son of man has not to lay where to lay his head. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a place. I haven't been looking out for myself. Oh my. How contrary of today. Oh, we could really stop right there and start teaching on finances, couldn't we? Whew, Brother Andrew, you wouldn't do that. No, I won't, actually, because it'd take me off topic in too much time. 
But that's even the way we're geared. They're geared. I'll just drop this in here. That's the way programs, if they can help you, God bless you. But programs that are, say, they're based in the scripture to help you manage your finances, they're trying to make you point the finger at yourself and look out for yourself. How can I become better? How can I do this? And sometimes we need that in order to help others. Because if you're down in the ditch yourself and try to tell everybody else, don't come in the ditch. Well, how don't you get out of the ditch so you can pull somebody else out of the ditch? So there's a, there's a good side to it, but don't make that your absolute. All right. Eternal life, living for others. There's two forces warring against each other today. It's life and death. There's two spirits at work in the church, Brother Brandon would say. There's the spirit of Christ and there's the Antichrist. And they become so close in the end that they would deceive the very elect if it was possible. So close, two spirits at work. One's death and one's life. Well, they've taken on, the, one, one is the spirit of Christ, the other one's taken on the name of Antichrist. In order it wants to be labeled as Christ, it wants to have the same name, but it wants to do its own thing. It's death. And then it wants to, but it wants to work right in the same framework of the same church and begin to deceive and to, 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 to try and get you, the, the elect of God, to be distracted from the truth that's being ministered to you and try and bring something to you that would bring you out of the truth, out from under the blood, so he could impose his will upon you. Because that's his purpose. He's against the bride of Christ. Satan's a cruel taskmaster. But he's not, he's not out there fighting the prostitutes on the street. He's not out there fighting them. You say, well, I'm sure he is because, I mean, they got the police and they got this going on. No, that's a natural battle. I'm talking about a spiritual battle. Amen. I'm talking about something on the inside of the inside where you're fighting something that you're trying to be right. You're trying to be good. You're trying to live for God. You're trying to do what's right. And on our own, we're lost. It takes Christ. But I, I just want to continue to lay this in here, so forgive me for laboring on a point, but I need to make it very clear. The only way to be able to rightly discern between the Christ and Antichrist spirit is by the Holy Spirit. You can't discern of it in any way. You say, well, I'll just study and I'll just show myself that I, I, I know the Scripture inside and out. Satan knows it better. But here, Brother Brown says, he says, here we see life and death coming to the final struggle. That's where we're at right now, the pale horse. He says, the white horse of, of true life, talking about the white horse of Christ, he says, and the pale horse of mixed creed. He says, and they see these things coming to a real showdown right now. That is where we're living today. The final struggle between life and death. There isn't another age. There isn't more to come. There isn't another messenger. There isn't more word. No. He's saying this is the final struggle. When the force seal was loosed, there was no more horse riders to ride out. There was no more anointings to be sent from God. We've come down to the final struggle between life and death. But now we know that character... As I said, let the mind that was in Christ be also in you. Character is a victory. Are you with me? 
The character of Christ, however, is the character we are called to come to. We're to be molded and shaped into his image, which is his character. But Christ's character did not start in a manger. Hallelujah. In other words, life goes beyond this body. The character of Christ, it didn't begin there in a manger, but rather, I'll say the first test of his character was in heaven when there was a battle. When, when we know that in the beginning, we could read in the scripture, we could go back into Genesis chapter 1, how in the beginning was God and God created the, uh, the heavens and the earth and how Brother Branham would pick that up and say, in the beginning there was Elohim, the self-existing one, and from him outspun the Logos. And as the Logos come out, the Logos begin to speak the eternal thoughts of God into existence and how that he spoke and there was because we know that the, world, the, the, the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith the world was formed. It was God when he spoke he believed his own word and it started as his thoughts and so it was Elohim himself that began to express himself down into the world and begin to make more dimensions <laughs> was really what was happening he was taking what was already in the seventh dimension what was already in his mind just stay with me what was already in the mind of God and the eternal thoughts of God he just began to put it into a different realm where he could begin to come down and physically have felt with his thoughts. You can ask any single brother what it's like to dream about being married. Isn't it so much company? It's so fulfilling to dream about being married. When I lay awake at night and think about what marriage is like, I just feel like I'm not alone anymore. No, it makes you more lonely. God, with his thoughts in the beginning, wasn't happy just having thoughts. But he created us in his image so we could understand what it was like to be there in the beginning and know what it's like to think, oh, what it would be like to have a bride. But until you experience it, Until you really have one, Brother John, to put your arm around in church and know that this is what it feels like, <laughs> then you're just putting your arm around the air beside you. <laughs> and it's kind of lonely. Sorry, brothers, I don't mean to pick you, single you out. I could go on the sisters too, but I know you've got broad shoulders and you can take it. But God desired fellowship, so he created something where he could come down in the cool of the evening and begin to have fellowship with his own thoughts. And as he began to move out in this way, the Spirit of God would move upon the face of the waters. And as he began to have creation, Brother Brennan would say it started in an evolution when he started out with the simplest of life forms, maybe a, just a little uh, a little. Something we couldn't see without a microscope. And then it would go up and go up and go up till finally it came to a pinnacle when he created man and he created Adam and male and female created he them and they were there to God. That was the pinnacle of his creation. 
He wasn't looking to have anything else added to it or taken away from it. He says, this is perfect because what happened on the seventh day, he looked at it and he was pleased and he rested. He didn't look at it and say, oh, if I just would have thought of that or thought of that or thought of that. I think, no, that was Satan sitting there going, I can make that better. I can make that better. I can make that better. No, God looked at it and said, it's perfect. And he rested on the seventh day. He said, this is the pinnacle of everything that I've ever wanted. And now I'm here and I can come down and have fellowship with my son and daughter and begin to speak with him in the cool of the evening. But there was somebody there that began to wage war. Because Lucifer, was, there was pride found in his heart. He became jealous over, of God. And he thought, I could make a better Eden than that of God. And he waged war. But Jesus would talk about it in Luke chapter 14. We'll actually just pick it up from verse 31. He'd say, All right, let's jump back, brother. Sorry, I said 31, but let's go back to 28. It says, In which of you, intending to build a tower, set it not down first and counteth the cost? Whether he have, su- have sufficient to finish it, lest happily he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all, all that behold it begin to mock him. Yeah. Saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, he says, going to, war- to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that come against him with 20,000. Or else while, he's, 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 he, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and, and, and desireth conditions of peace. Let me just say it this way. What a slap in the face of the devil. Because here's Jesus' words. Let me say it this way. Here's Michael the archangel. In human flesh called Jesus Christ. Here's the very Logos that spun out from God and began to speak. Here's the very one called Melchizedek without father or mother. Without beginning of days or ending of life. This one that now standing here on earth. And he says what kind of a king would make a war that he can't win? And here he is looking right in, I would say, right in the face of the devil. Because one, the very one that cast Lucifer out of heaven, would say these words. What kind of a king doesn't first sit down and count the cost? Think about it. Here's Lucifer before at the beginning and he's got jealousy in his heart. And he deceives a third of the angels. And he begins to talk to them. I'll talk to the fallen angels over here. I don't want to associate you guys with that. But he gets to talk and says, listen, all right, we're, we're going to take over heaven. We're going to wage war against God. What Michael has is eternal life. We were created. Starting to see the flaws here? <laughs> but we're going to fight against him, and I'm sure somehow we're going to win. I, I wish somebody would have. Maybe if doubt would have just doubt doubt at that time. And stood up and said, you know, Lucifer, I think maybe, maybe this is a bad idea. Because we know that eternal life can't die. So what I'm thinking is, is no matter how many times I kill him, he's just going to come alive again. 
because he's got eternal life. And here he comes again down on earth and says, what kind of a king? Would take a kingdom and wage a war and not first sit down and think about if I can win the war. And there's Lucifer sitting there in the background going, oh, that hurts. But he thought, I've got better plans still. Lucifer, the father of lies, had so lied to himself till he deceived himself into thinking he could kill eternal life. (laughs) And today, 2,000 years after the Lord said those words, we've come to a place where Satan has built the pinnacle of his perversion. Satan's Eden. God, when he created Adam and he seen it there and he rested on the seventh day, that was the pinnacle of his creation. But now we've come to a place where Satan has come to the pinnacle of his creation. And we know we're just right in this time where we're living in the moments before the time when the, son of, the man of sin will be revealed. Right when it'll come, because when will that happen? When the bride's taken away and the angel no longer holds back the four corners, no longer holds back the four winds, but now all of a sudden the bride's gone and he takes over. And to him he thinks, I've done it. Death riding in every aspect of the world order. But God sends a man in this age, born under a sign. Make sure he only gets a seventh grade education. Say, God, make sure. I really believe God makes sure. He didn't go to university and college and all those things. But he only had a seventh grade education to make sure he had no education of the order of Satan's Eden. Just like God made sure that there was a man to forerun his first coming named John the Baptist, that he made sure even though his father was a priest in the temple, that he would not take that those steps to become a priest, but rather he would go out in the wilderness and at eight years old, from eight years old till he was 30, we don't know anything. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't care what John the Baptist did from eight years old until he was 30. I don't really care. I also don't care what Jesus did from the age he was 12 to when he was 30. Because the Bible doesn't say it. It's not important to me. And I don't care what, where Elijah the Tishbite was from the time he was born to when he stomped into the king's house. And he told him, behold, it won't rain. It doesn't matter. If it would have mattered, God would have written it in the Word. And so is it today when people want to say, well, where was Brother Branham from the time he was a child to when he was 47? When we have recorded, we've got to dig up all the past. I don't really care. God vindicated his ministry as true. What happened before then isn't important to me. God used a man called Paul who murdered his own people and then turned Paul around and said, you're the first church aid messenger. And yet somehow we look over that and we say, but Brother Branham, I mean, he tried to kill somebody and he tried to this. How could he be the prophet messenger? And how? Why? Because God takes the things that are foolish to man. And makes greatness out of it. Oh my, and man still looks at it and says, oh, how could it be? It's still foolish because that's the way God has always operated. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Satan today came and sat on the front row when the seven seals were being revealed. 
He had a front row seat. How many of you were there in 1963? Nobody, really? Blessed are you who have not seen and yet still believe. But Satan was there. He had a front row seat to God unveiling how he knew what he was doing. How he knew all of Satan's plan down through the ages. And he always had something there to defeat him in every age. And how good God knows his plans in the future. And how God will never be defeated. And Satan had to sit there. Oh, I love this. God is such a good general that he invites the enemy spy. Into his internal meetings. With his general staff. He says, you don't have to try and get it by some backwards means. Why don't you just come and sit down while we're talking about our plans? I'll even show you the game plan. I'll show you the map. I wrote it all in my Bible. It's all there. I'll show you everything, Satan. But the fact of the matter is, I can't lose. You can know exactly where I'm going to put my troops, where I'm going to put the artillery, where I'm going to put all the planes, and I'm going to put this and that. It doesn't matter because you can't hit them because I'm God. Oh my, as he sat there the first night and the first seal was open and Satan would have looked into it. Oh, and he's seen how he set the white horse out. He said, yeah, I remember those days. I sent out that antichrist spirit. I deceived so many and we brought it to a Nicaea council and we did all these great things. But somehow there was still a remnant that didn't bow their knees to that image that wouldn't be deceived by the Antichrist. I thought I had them, but now I see in 63, where now I look back and see, oh, that's where they were. That's the ones that wouldn't fall. How did I miss that? Oh, my. Then this next night, the second seal gets open, and there's, he sees, yeah, the red horse rider. I remember that. I went out, whew, 66 million martyrs. I had a, sure had a good time, and we had the circus going. We had the lions. We had all these things. But still... So that's what happened. God sent out an ox anointing. And they were anointed to that? You mean it wasn't my greatness that brought them there? It was because they were anointed to give their life? You mean God's going to take glory even when I thought I had the victory? And the third seal come on, the black horse come on. He thought, yeah, I'm going to make it so difficult for everybody. And we're going to, have, we're going to charge this and break taxes and government system and orders. And we're going to oppress the people. But God said, I already sent a man anointing. They wouldn't just overcome, but they would thrive in that age. And the gospel would go forth. And he'd say, oh, I think I'm going to discover new lands. And Columbus gets sent out, and they're going to go out and discover new land. Satan in his order thinks he's doing such great things. But God says, perfect, because I've got some seed over there amongst the First Nations people. And we're going to need a ship to get across there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Satan thought he isolated them when they got there and he closed off the land bridge as the scientists want to look back and say it happened that way when they walked across and now we got all these isolated tribes that don't know nothing about what God's doing in this day. He says, build me a ship, Satan. I got some preachers that need to go from England and need to get across to North America to preach my gospel there too. Hallelujah. They thought, that's it. All right, fine. I'm going to raise up another one in this stage, and we're going to go into an astronaut age and tell you what we're going to do. We're going to have airplanes. We're going to have automobiles. We're going to do all kinds of things that we will lull the people into a sleep 
and eternally separate them from God by my own deception. And I'll make sure they never want to serve God because I'll make their lives so easy and so much entertainment and so much going on. And right when they get to that thought, he says, but God said, I put an eagle anointing down there. You think you can fly high, devil. Oh, I got an eagle that your hawks can't come close to. Your pigeons, your chickens, they don't know nothing about what these eagles are seeing. That they're rising way up higher and above anything you can do. And by the way, thank you so much for the airplane because I got missionaries that need to travel from place to place to place. And they don't got time anymore because you've made it such a rat race to, to get on a ship and spend months and months on end traveling there. So you made it easier. Thank you, by the way. Now we can spread the gospel. Oh, and you made the printing press too. Bless your heart, devil. Because you done made the printing press so we can write the scripture and we can give the word that you tried to hide in under that red horse rider and make it so impossible for people to get to. Now we're printing it all over the world so that the bride of Christ can be clothed in the garments of her own nature. Oh, so she can read the message according to her own language and be clothed in this message and become to Jesus Christ. Thank you, devil. <laughs> what a loser. Oh, my. What a front row seat he had. I'm sure by the time the seventh seal was being revealed, he was in the back row. <laughs> so I'm sick of getting picked on. I'm sick of this. It hurts every service. I'm just going to sneak in the back here. And then, oh, then he thought he had something. Because the last night gets preached, the seventh seal. And it goes right over his head. Because yeah. it was for the eagles. And you can only understand the seventh seal by revelation. Now we're getting to what we're coming to. But as Satan now comes and he sits in this service, and the seventh seal is going forth, he starts to move up a few pews. Hey, I got something now. And he begins to look at it by the end of service. He never revealed the seventh seal because I didn't get it. Oh... What a dumb devil. He sat right there and looked at the word of God, right in the general's quarters, watched them game plan for the battle and go, yeah, I don't get it. Therefore, this battle didn't happen. Because it's by revelation. So as he sat there now, when the, when the prophet was here, he just began to tell him, oh yeah, he's going to, he's going to, Preach the seventh seal still. He's still going to come. He's still going to be revealed. Then when the prophet went away, and he says, yeah, Brother Branham's going to come back. That wasn't the thought of God. Thoughts come from two places. One of two places. They come from God or they come from the devil. Guess what? It didn't come from, okay, I'm going to throw this one in here. If you cancel me, fine. If it didn't come from Jeffersonville, they didn't think the thought Brother Branham's going to come back. It didn't come from Arizona. That they didn't think the thought that, oh, Brother Branham's going to come back and reveal the seventh seal. No, it was because Lucifer was set in the seventh seal service and didn't get it. So he began to put thoughts into man's mind that weren't full of the Holy Ghost. Because if by revelation, and if God, oh. You'll only receive the message for your day by revelation. 
It won't come any other way. It won't come by intellectual understanding. Therefore, you could sit there all day long and say, you've just got to take the tapes and look at the tapes and read the tapes and listen to the tapes. I don't know how you read a tape, but you know, you got to do all these things and that's all you can do because that's the unfailing word of God. I say, amen, that's the unfailing word of God. But then live it. Oh, my. Look at it for a moment. You want to take it like a scriptural example? Take Elisha. The Syrian king got all his general staff together, and they decided we're going to ambush the king of Israel. We're going to set a trap for him, and we're going to sit over here, and he's going to go driving by, and we're going to jump, and we're going to kill him, and it'll be an easy victory, no problem. We got this. And they go, and they sit there. And they sat there, and they sat there, till finally they go sauntering back to Syria. He never showed up. He says, but I had a spy right in the meeting where the king of Israel said he's going to take this road and go this way home. How did he not show up? Well, I, I received word he was here, but now he's home again, but he didn't come this way. So, all right, well, we'll send out more spies and we'll go back into the king of Israel's chambers and we'll let them know. So they go back in there and they, they, they hear news again from their spies. Okay, he's going to be in this city. He's going to travel this way. All right, we're going to set up an ambush again. They get their ambush again and they sit there and they wait and they wait and they wait. So finally they go back dragging their heels again. Oh, great king of Syria. We lost again. What do you mean we lost? Well, we... We waited for days. We waited three days past the time that you, you, you said he'd be there and he wasn't there. And then we sent out spies and he was home, but he didn't come the way he was supposed to go. He went some back way and long way around. And we, my, we thought we had him, but we didn't have him. What was going on? He said, fine, we got a spy in our midst. Finally, and I happen to believe it was Naaman that lifted up his head. I said, oh, king, you don't have a spy in your midst. God doesn't need a spy in Lucifer's camp. He already knows what Lucifer's going to do because he knows the end from the beginning. So he said, no, you don't got no spy in here. You don't got no traitors. Nobody's traitor. Not even doubt's a traitor to Lucifer. Figure that one out. But he ain't got no traitors, but, he says, but there's one. There's a prophet in Israel that keeps telling the king what you're doing. So he says, fine, go get that prophet. Oh, we all know this story so well. So he goes down and he gets around Dothan and he says, all right, we're going to take it. We found it. He's in Dothan and he doesn't leave Dothan. He knows he's coming, but he's just having a worship service. It don't matter anymore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, God is on my side. And he just began to worship the Lord and not worry about it. Finally, his servant came in and said, aren't you scared? Aren't you worried? They're surrounding us. The Syrians are here. They're going to crush the city. All they're asking for is you. All right, let's go see him. Wait, what? Open the gates? Yeah, yeah, open. don't worry about it. The Lord opened his eyes and, oh, now I see why you're not afraid. Because you have revelation that God is on our side. That's what it was that opened the eyes of Elisha and his servant. They had a revelation that was God was using them. And as long as they had a purpose, they had eternal life. And they could no more die than God himself could die. So what was there to worry about? A Syrian army? A general? Who cares? Bring them on. So he come on in. And he prayed. And the Lord smote him with blindness. What did he do? Take him right down to the very king they were trying to kill. 
make a mockery out of them. Didn't, didn't Jesus say that? That the man that builds the tower doesn't count the cost. In the end, people would mock him. God makes a mockery out of the devil over and over and over and over again at how stupid he is because he keeps thinking he can win against eternal life. Oh my. Let me say it this way. There's many life decisions, we call them, that'll affect this life, these 70 years. Who you marry, the career you choose. There's many circumstances, the influences that you allow in your life, the wealth you accumulate or don't have, they affect this, their life circumstances and life choices. But there is only one eternal life choice. And that is, what do you do with this Jesus called the Christ? What are you going to do with the Word of God that is proven to be the truth and vindicated? That's the only eternal life choice. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you will. We put so much emphasis on life choices and we need to look at them. And it's good. We need to make sure that young people, you marry the right one and you choose the right career. And those of you that are getting older, you make choices that you need to prepare for. You're going to retire one day. You've got children, grandchildren, all these things. Those things are important. I'm not making light of them. However, there's only one thing that you ought to really, really put everything into. And that is this choice. What will you do with the word? What are you going to do with the revelation that God has given you? Revelation, or, or 2 Corinthians chapter 14 says, knowing, or chapter 4, verse 14, apologize, says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Hallelujah. Paul said, hey, one day I'm going to die, but that's okay. I've got eternal life. God's going to raise me up too. It's the same Lord. It says, for all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. Amen. That's eternal life. It's perpetual. It's day by day by day. It just keeps renewing and renewing. It never gets old. Hallelujah. Oh, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. So he says, the light affliction, back it up a verse, Brother Mark, the light affliction of, of, of this current life, Oh, but Brother Andrew, it's so hard. I go through so many trials. I'm sick all the time. I got doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment. Paul looks at it and says, light affliction. But that kind of puts me down. Not really. Because he's showing a confidence in you. That this body means so little. Even these things we put so much 
emphasis on it. I need to make sure, I need to make sure, I need to make sure. Be careful what you're making sure of because those things are a light affliction, but they work in us a far greater weight of eternal glory. Something that is eternal, something that is of a greater value. That's why bodily exercise profiteth little because his body's going by the way of the grave, one way or another, but there's an eternal value in then seeking and making your calling and election sure. He says not to look at the things that are seen. They're so temporal. These things which are seen are temporal. These things. It's temporal. That thing you got a doctor's appointment about this week, it's temporal. That test result you're waiting for, it's temporal. That diagnosis the doctor done give you and said you'll live with this the rest of your life, it's temporal. But there's something that is eternal. In other words, in the beginning, when you were in the mind of God, these temporal things were not in his mind. He wasn't looking at you back then and saying, yep, I see him. He's got this problem and this problem and this problem. No, he's looking at you saying, he's an overcomer. She's an overcomer because she's going to come to this image of what she was at the beginning. She will be at the end. And all of these hardships and troubles that she's going through is because character is a victory. So by essence, that means there has to be a battle. There's going to have to be a fight. You can't overcome this flesh if this flesh is perfect. It's going to have to be a struggle. It's going to have to be a battle. It's going to have to be a fight. And Satan's right there to make sure it's a hard fight. But just remind him all the time. You know that seal you couldn't understand? I got it. You think you're so smart? The seventh seal was me. Because it was Christ coming down in a body again in flesh in this day and age. It's me, devil. That's why you couldn't understand it because it wasn't you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God's love for humanity is in his desire for fellowship with you, not just on a surface level, but on every level, in the depth of fellowship. He doesn't want to just know you as a friend. He doesn't want to just know you as a fiancé. He wants to know you as a bride, as a wife, as a mother, as a father. He wants to take you into his own bosom, know you in every aspect of life. Oh, angels can't know him in the depth of who he is. They see his greatness. They see his glory. They behold it day in and day out. The cherubims cover their face, cover their feet with wings. They fly and it's the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a presence to be in. But even in that presence, they don't know him like you do. They never needed a savior. They never needed a healer. They never needed a redeemer. They never needed a friend to come down when they were at their lowest place and they felt like they just couldn't go another day, but there was a God that came by their way. They didn't know what that was like, but you do. 
You understand what it is to be broken as he was broken and to go to that place. And when, 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 when Peter, I think it was, John said, oh, we, we will drink of this cup. And he said, yes, you'll drink of this cup. Why? So they could know him in the depth of his fellowship. So they could understand in his suffering, they could be partakers of his suffering. So they could know him in the glory of his victory. Oh, blessed be the Lord God Almighty. He's God, in him is all things. And people who were lost, who know what it is to do wrong, know what it is to be deceived. But we could be reconciled by such an undeserving love, such unmerited grace. If you got your Bible still open, you just flip it over the next chapter in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Oh my, but that, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Eternal life is not living for yourself, it's living for others. It says, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So what is it when you're living for others? It's not that you're just become a doormat and let everyone walk all over you, but that you live your life for Jesus Christ. And in living your life for Christ, he says, so much as you've done unto the least of these, my little ones, you've done it unto me. And even right after that, he talks about, he says, those that haven't done these things, they'll go into everlasting judgment and darkness, but those who live uprightly and righteous, they will go to eternal life. Oh my. We still got time, all right. His messianic ministry. Anointed ones believe that he is the Messiah. What is the Messiah? What is the Messiah? Messiah is anointed one. And now if he, Jesus Christ, was the Messiah, by being the anointed one for that day to fulfill the word of God, to be the redeemer and the anointed one, and God raised up that body. <laughs> Think about this. He says the bride is the anointed one for this day. To re-raise, it's already raised with him in the resurrection because these two are one. He's talking about this way. He says, listen, he was the Messiah in that day. Therefore, when he was, he was the anointed one to fulfill the word in that day, he was anointed for a purpose. To live eternal life in that day and fulfill the word. He says, but what about today? The anointing has transferred from him to her because they are but one. So he says, she, she is the anointed one today to do what? Fulfill the word. Oh, blessed be the Lord. Right there in the message, it's in the message uh, oneness that Brother Branham makes a statement. He says, let's say it together. Oneness with God is to have God's Spirit in you, agreeing with the Word, all the Word, the whole Word, and to make it manifested in power. That's what oneness is, true oneness with God. To have the Word of God made manifested in you and through you. In other words, you're not looking at this flesh. 
You can't manifest the word and keep looking at the flesh. That's why the devil keeps pointing you to this flesh. He keeps pointing you to the desires and the, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life and all of these things. Why? Because he wants to distract you from the fact you can't look at it and manifest the word. You have to look at the promise to manifest the word of God. Hallelujah. There was 12, 10 spies that went over and they were busy looking at this flesh saying we're grasshoppers in their sight and we're not able. But there was two spies that came back and a Joshua and a Caleb and they said, I don't care. I'm looking at the promise. The promise will be made manifest in me. God so loved that that he honored it and made them the only two of that entire generation that would possess the promised land. He says, oh, oh my, I wish I could tell you it the way I see it. I wish I had the education to do it. He says, I hope God, the Holy Ghost, come down and puts it in your heart. Hallelujah. Praise God, because I tell you this right now, education would not have helped Brother Branham explain the Holy Ghost. And he knew that. Because it was only and is only by revelation. And we can look at it all. Oh, I'm going to just jump ahead here, so forgive me. But he talks about in the, in, the, in the church age book where he says, the importance of revelation by the Spirit to the true believer can never be overemphasized. Let me say that again. The importance of revelation by the Holy Spirit can sometimes be overemphasized. No. Can never. 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 Say it with me. Never be over emphasized emphasized I'll say it right eventually he says I'm not just talking about the book of revelations I'm talking about all revelation is tremendously important to the church and we lose so much just by reading it we, we lose so much how brother Branham is trying to stress on these points trying to show you that, that, that revelation really is everything. Because he'd take the scripture where it talks about it and, and he would talk about it and say, Jesus asked him, said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? You know what the first answer was? What the flesh said. What other men were saying. Some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elias, some say you're this one, some say you're that one. There are all these different things. That was carnal understanding. But he says, but who do you say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus recognized and said, that wasn't flesh and blood. But my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you by his Spirit. He revealed it to you that I am God. And he says, and upon this rock, this little stone, not Peter, but upon the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, I'll build my church. So in other words, you cannot be in the church unless you have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Because that's the chief cornerstone, the foundation, and every other stone is fitly joined together in order to build the church of God. And this one here that was put, the chief cornerstone, was Christ. And he put the, the stone of the Ephesian church age upon that. And Paul was the master stonemason that began to put the different ones in the body by the word of God. It wasn't that Paul had to go around and say, okay, Marshall, this is your place in the church. And okay, this is your place in the church. And this is your place in the church. And this is your place in the church. And this is your place in the church. I had nothing to do with it. 
It was he's preached the word and by revelation, the individuals received, this is who I am. And now we got today another master stonemason named William Branham that came and preached the word. And by revelation, we received the word and God puts us positionally in the body, every joint fitly joint together. So that every joint supplies. I can't do it without the brother next to me. I can't. I can't do it without the sister next to me. I need them there. They're a part of the body. They're an encouragement to me. They might pray for me once in their life, twice in their life, three times. They might pray for me every day. Thank you to those that do. I really appreciate it. I need it. But, but I, we, we need each other to pray for one another, to lift one another up so we have a place we know what it's like. Oh, praise be to God. I'm not going to get through this this morning, but Brother John, you're still going to preach tonight. This is the resurrection. We are now in the resurrection. Should I almost put this up on the screen? Not we will be. We are now. Why? Because the resurrection is not a physical happening. <laughs> the manifestation of it is, but the resurrection is a revelation. <laughs> like we read in 2 Corinthians where Paul began to write, he began to say that knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall be present and shall present us with you. Hallelujah. Let's just say, listen, I got a revelation that I'm going to be raised up. Whenever that happens, whatever the manifestation of it is, praise God because it's a reality to me that I am the resurrection. Mm, because I live, you shall live also. Because I live, you live also. He says, what a resurrection that was. When Jesus was here on earth, what a resurrection that was. And he says, and what a resurrection this is. To be quickened from the dead. What dead? There's a horse rider that's riding out called death. And hell followed after him. He says, in the natural, it was hell, the grave. But in the spiritual, it's a lake of fire. That you go to a place of torment in the spirit and the soul. But we're not a part of that because we've received a quickening power. And have already been raised together with Christ Jesus. Oh, praise be to God. Notice death does not stop the quickening power of God. Oh, think about it. Death does not stop the quickening power of God. Think about Elisha for a moment. When Elisha died in 2 Kings 13, verse 20, says, And Elisha died, and they buried him in the bones of the Moabites, or the bands of the Moabites. They were bones in there too. But they invaded the land in the coming year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man, behold, they spied a band of man, and they just cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down, he touched the bones of Elisha, and he revived and stood up on his feet. Amen. Praise be to God. Even death can't stop this resurrection power, the quickening power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what the most amazing thing about this scripture is? It only records they put one man in there. I gotta tell you something, if I was in a battle and I threw my friend on the bones of Elisha and he got back up and came running back out, I would take a medic band and strap it on my arm and say, come on to me. <laughs> bring your dead, bring your sick. <laughs> 
we ain't going to lose a one today. Why do you think the ministers today are trying to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ and you must be born again or you will die? Why? Because we recognize when you get on the bones of Elisha, you cannot die. So we've got a medic man strapped on our arm saying, come unto me. Jesus said, I will not lose a one of them. Therefore, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because it's not me. It's him in me living out this life. Coming to such a place, living in the Shekinah glory of God. I don't know if you're ready for this yet. When Jesus was here, John chapter 6, we're talking about on Friday, you guys remember. He says, I am the bread of life. But the Bantam comes down and says, She is Him. You've been feeding on the body word of the Son of Man. There is a statement that is very true you are what you eat. If you have a revelation of what you've been feeding on, then you've become him. You see how every joint supplies? The body edifying itself? We are the body together, all of us. Edifying itself. Why? Because it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you. Speaking the word one to another, edifying itself with much strife and hardship and butting of heads and iron sharpening iron. No, in love. First Corinthians 12, behold, I show you a more excellent way. What do you talk about in First Corinthians 12? The gifts? Oh, surely the body would edify itself with speaking in tongues. It can. Part of it. Surely it'll edify itself with prophecy. It can. It's part of it. Surely it'll be words of wisdom. Part of it. Surely it'll be discernment. It's part of it. I've received edification from that, listening to the messages. I've received encouragement from it. But there's nothing more edifying than the word. But it says it will edify itself in a more excellent way, which is love. It says, charity suffereth long. Charity is not easily provoked. (sighs) By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen. John, and in his older years in his life, he would sit there and they would just raise him up, just an old man, and he'd cry out, Brother Brandon would say, Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. The body is not going to edify itself trying to butt heads and get ahead of each other and trying to look through strife and vainglory trying to get somewhere. No, it's by love that we come and we begin to love one another. Say, brother, I love you. I want you to live this way. Why why do I get correction? Why does someone come and correct me? Because they love you. 
not because they want to try and make your life hard, because they want to show you, listen, brother, it's a revelation to me that a sister ought not to cut your hair and ought not to even trim it. Maybe you just, don't do those things, please. It's grieving to the Holy Spirit. Don't wear those short skirts and pants and don't let your children know they're just a young child. Don't let them do those things. It's grieving to the Lord. Don't let them walk in those ways. Why do we say these things? Why? Because we want the moving of the Holy Spirit without hindrance. Hallelujah. How can it happen? Because there's three things that abide faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. Oh, but I got all faith. It'll fail. It's not that one day your faith will fail. I I just said, brother, preach on this recently. I just love this, this part where he said this. He said, not that it will fail, but rather there'll come a time when it won't be needed anymore. That's right. When we're on the other side, I'm not going to need faith anymore. <laughs> it's all become reality. I'm not going to have to look because the faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen, but now I see it all. Even as I'm seeing, I see him and behold him even as I am known and I know him that way. I'm not going to need faith anymore. I'm not going to need hope anymore. There won't be anything else to hope for. I won't need prophecy anymore because I'll be in my theophany and I'll know more than you finally. No one knows the same amount. (laughs) But we'll have all revelation, all knowledge, we won't need those things, but there'll be one thing that still abides. Love. Amen. Charity. Oh, how we ought to walk in that way more than anything else. I'm going to try and bring it to a close. We are justified in his sight. Why are we justified? Because we are his victory. This is from the message, Christ is the mystery God revealed. It says, the church is his victory. We come forth in the last days in this glorious gospel showing his victory. He died for this purpose. We are the proof of his victory. When we see him coming down and living among the church, that's his victory. How could that be his victory? Because he's a holy God. He can't come and live in sinful lives. But when there's a holy people to receive a holy God, because it's a holy God in the people that makes them holy. When they surrender themselves completely out, what a victory that is. That God says exactly what I said would happen, happened. (laughs) The world was formed by his word. By faith, we know the world was formed. In other words, he spoke it and he believed it. The bride is formed. She is the word, seed, bride. This body came about by a man and a woman having a relationship, and I was born. But that's not where my soul came from. It came from God, and it goes back to God. The seed gene that he put in there didn't come from Tim and Alice and Dodd. It came from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a part of him. Hallelujah. Therefore, the fact that I'm a part of this bride isn't based on this flesh and has nothing to do with this flesh. Nor does it have anything to do with how I feel. So I don't feel like an overcomer. Praise be to God. Most people that are in a 
battle don't feel like they're overcoming until it's over. And the adrenaline starts to wear off and they go, we won? Last thing I remember, I was just fighting. That man that went into Elisha's bones, onto Elisha's bones, do you know why he was cast in there? Because he was dead. Real simple answer. He was dead. You know how he died? He was fighting a battle. And you know what happened when he came out alive? He went and fought the same battle. But this time, he won. When you come in contact with the quickening power of God, it doesn't mean your battle's over. Nine times out of nine, you're going to fight the same battle before. You're going to fight it afterwards. But this time, you've got something in you that will bring you to victory. Hallelujah. Because now, it's not just you trying to interpret the plans. How many of you were alive before GPS? Come on, date yourself. And you had to use a map. And you spread that big map out, and you, or you had a book, because they went into books. And I, I never understood those things. I still don't. Not that smart, I guess. But, but they had all these maps, and they get lost. There'd be all kinds of jokes written about people, and the wife is navigating, and, oh, that was your turn off back there. Why? Because they're looking at a piece of paper, and they begin to realize, okay, where am I? Because the first thing you've got to do on a map is figure out, where am I? You ever go to the mall and you look at the big directory and it says, you are here. If you don't know that, it doesn't matter how many arrows they put on the screen. Go left and right and left and right. From where to where? That's really what we want to know. Point A to point B. And it's just telling us how to get there. Because the first thing you do when you look at a map, you've got to figure out where am I. That's the problem. If you don't have revelation, you're looking at the road map going, oh, I can see where this at the end time, and this will be at the end time, and that will be at this time, and that will be at this time. But then you've got people today, oh, this is what I love Believe the Sign for. We give a shameless plug for Believe the Sign right here. Praise be to God. This is what I love about them. they got no revelation. So they start looking at it, and they go, we're not even in the end time. They don't realize where they are in the map. They're looking at the same map as you and I, but they forgot where they were. So they're never going to get to where they're going because they done passed it already. You see what I'm talking about? You've got to have revelation. Where am I today? So that way I know how to get to where I'm going. Because you can say, well, I know where I'm going, Brother Andrew. I'm going back to God. I came from God. I'm going to God. Right. But if you don't know where you are, Brother Max... You're lost. That's why Jesus said, I come to the lost sheep. Not the ones that knew where they were. I come to the lost ones. We know where we are in the map according to the message of today. That shows us where we are in the map. So that way we can get to where we're going. Because without it, we're lost before we even get started. Oh, praise be to God. All right, we'll drop this in, then we'll close. Satan, <clears throat> that old devil, he's been building a portfolio on you for years. He knows all about it. He knows all about you. He was there when you were born. Those memories that you don't remember, he remembers them. He'll bring them up to you in the most inconvenient time. Yep. He's so great, isn't he? Right when you're down the dumps and all of a sudden, you remember that time? And you're like, man, I thought I forgot about that. 
The worst thing is, brother, sister, when you can go to a brother or sister and be Satan's mouthpiece. And you get around your brothers and sisters and you say, remember that time when we were speeding down the road? Why are you reminding everybody of their sin? Remember that time before we were saved? Oh, Lord have mercy. Why don't we fellowship around the word? Stop doing the devil's work for him. I've tried to forget those things that are past. Because that's not me anymore. I don't like getting around sometimes. Forgive me if this gets back to my natural family that aren't saved. Because that's what they want to talk about. You remember the time, Andrew, when you this and you that? I'd rather not. Because that's not me anymore. I've repented of that. God forgave me of that. And I'm over that. So quit trying to tell me of all the things that my past self has done. Because that's not the man in control anymore. Jesus is in control now. But Satan, he's got this portfolio built up on you and on your parents and on your grandparents and great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents on both sides. They got you going back. He knows your family tree. He'll trace you all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He'll know exactly where you came from, which son you have know where you came through. Everything. Oh, my, and he's built this portfolio of why you are the way you are. <laughs> Brother Branham calls, sums it up very simply. It says, yeah, he just the human grab bag of all these traits, of all that's gone on before. But Satan looks at it, and he tries to spin it in evil. But God looks at it and says, yeah, I watched over your great-great-great-grandpa and your great-great-grandpa and your great-grandpa and your grandpa and your daddy so that you would come out a certain way. Not for evil, because the thoughts that I think of you are not evil. They're thoughts of peace. They're good thoughts. But Satan, he's so good at collecting data. that he'll tell you that cancer you got, it runs in your family. That eye trouble you got, it runs in your family. That marriage trouble you're having, yeah, it runs in your family. Your daddy was divorced, so you, oh, you're hopeless. Your great-grandpa, he didn't, he didn't treat women right. Therefore, he'll, you'll never treat women. He loves to tell you these things. Andrew, are you being the devil's mouthpiece right now? I'm trying to show you the tactics of the enemy, so help me. He brings these things in here. He drops thoughts in your mind because you came from a broken home, and oh, this happened and that happened. But that's just a lie of the devil. He'll take the word of God, because it says to kill with the sword. He'll take the word of God, and he'll take that, and he'll bring it out and tell you. Oh, it says the sins will be passed a generation, a generation, even to the fourth. It'll go on and on. But you know what he never seems to remind you of? The blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. He seems to omit that for some reason. So if you're ever having thoughts that for some reason, the salvation of God, the peace of God, the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ, repentance and true repentance that comes through godly sorrow for sin, if those thoughts are not included in the thoughts that you're having, They didn't come from God. But it's the devil trying to bring you to a place of condemnation. But you could look it up in Romans chapter 8 and go right down in here to verse 1. And you begin to find out it says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He's so good at collecting data. That's always been his tactics to make you believe something that is contrary to the word of God because he operates by death and the word of God is life. Oh my. 
My words are life. He goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, to seeking to kill and to destroy. But God is seeking whom he may give life and revelation to. Satan had a portfolio on Enoch too. He had all Enoch's past. His daddy, his daddy's dad, his daddy's daddy's dad, all the way back to Adam, just seven generations back. And he could go back this way and see, yeah, this one failed here and that one failed there. And that's why that one didn't obtain the promise and that one didn't obtain the promise. And, you know, they had some revelation, but they weren't really. And Enoch had to live with all this. But here was God giving revelation to Enoch as Enoch began to write a Bible in the pyramids. And Enoch lived his life for others. Enoch didn't even get to enjoy the pyramids. He built them, and he walked with God, and he was not. He wasn't buried in the pyramids. It wasn't a tomb for him. It was none of the above. But it was for purpose that there would be a testimony for generations to come. That there was a man that God gave revelation to that you can overcome the devil in all of his wily ways. And there was a faith that can still quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we know that's where Jesus stopped, because that was his day. But now we're even into a next day. It's not that this is done away with, but it's compounded on top of itself. Because Christ is still here. It's still the same spirit. But it says, also, we are living in this the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Amen, brother... Um, Wendell Martin did a wonderful job preaching on this. And it goes on the next in verse 3. It says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen. So where is the devil in all this? Nowhere to be seen. He's done lost. He has nothing to do with this. He's the one that caused the mourning. He's the one that caused the sorrow. But he says, I've given them a garment of praise. I've given them the joy of joy. I've given them beauty for the ashes. I've given them a wonderful thing that they would be planted of the Lord. And the next verse says this. In verse 4 it says, And they shall build the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities. The desolations of many generations. Think about this for a minute. When the devil comes and he begins to tell you, listen, it's been in your family for generations. You've got no hope of overcoming this. I've got a promise that says, I was made and anointed of the Lord to repair the desolations of all the past generations, all the waste that the devil has tried to bring me to, all the death that he's tried to bring about. I'm not of that people. Hallelujah. I've got a God in me and eternal life does not know defeat. He can't lose. He thought he had it when he put Elisha, but all that happened was others raised up. He thought he had it when he had Elijah, but he couldn't find Elijah. He thought he had it when he had Enoch and he tracked Enoch one day out walking with God, followed his footsteps, finally come down and it just stopped. There's a whole trail here, but then there's nothing. And there's no sign of struggle. There's no animal tracks. There's no sign in the, in the surrounding that there was an attack of anything from the sky. There's nothing. 
It's just not. One day, devil, you're going to find out you've been tracking me a long time. But one day, you're going to come to no more footprints. And all the sorrow of those that didn't walk in the sands of time with the God that walked with them. We could add on to that poem. Oh, and I look back and sometimes I see only one set of footprints. And he said, those are the times that I carried you. But it'll be a time where we look back and we see none. Because we cease to be in time any longer. Because at the time when Satan finally thinks he's won and the angel of the Lord leaves and stops holding back the four winds, and he says, all right, I can go get the bride now. She's gone. She's hidden away in the palace. Oh, right when he thinks, he said, finally, I beat eternal life. He's already lost. How don't we just remind him of that this morning? Say it with me. Satan, you've already lost. Say it again till you believe it. Satan, you've already lost. Hallelujah. The seventh seal that you couldn't get. You're looking at it now. Hallelujah. The one that you couldn't understand, I get it. <laughs> Praise be to God. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Oh, my. Don't you love the Lord? How great he is. Worship the Lord. God wants to use you as the proof of his victory. Hallelujah. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. The word itself is spirit. It is the spirit in word form. He says, and then you see when it is quickened or brought to life, the word of God goes to work and acts. That's why the true church, the bride of Jesus Christ, she, by revelation, when she's walking that way, there'll be a book of Acts written behind her. Because what is a book of Acts? It's a book of actions. And when the word becomes quickened, it acts. It begins to perform the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, blessed be the Lord. There's so much in here I, I didn't get to, and I apologize. It didn't come out the way I wanted it to, but we've won. We've won. Could you imagine at a hockey team, and they go in there, and it's, it's, it's the last intermission. It's before the third period, and they're maybe down by two, and they walk out and say, we already won. They call them crazy. What do you mean you've already won? Yeah, we've already won. They don't know the end, though, but we know the end. We can walk, it doesn't matter. Satan might say, I got you down by two. I got you down by three. There's no way you're ever going to get out of this. I've got you down. No, devil, you've already lost the war. He's a good chess player, but you know, only the best chess players can only see about 12 moves in advance. God sees the end from the beginning. There's no number that could calculate his moves. Right when the devil thinks, I got him, checkmate, he says, Oh, you misunderstood. My king can fly. <laughs> it's kind of like playing with a three-year-old, you know, and they just, <laughs> I got him now. He says, no, my, my king's over here now. <laughs> the devil thinks, there, there, there's rules. God says, I am the rules. That's 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, my. Andrew, it's rigged then. Yes, it is, and I sure am thankful it is. Oh, my. Let me just put this in here. It's too good to leave out. It's Satan. It is that Satan has got a hold of their lives through sin, indifference, and disease. But he begins to talk about his ministry, and he says, you should see the face of the people when they come up here and Satan gets exposed. He says, how the countenance of the people change. He says, but what is it? It's not the people. He says, because it's Satan who has got a hold of their lives through sin and indifference and disease. He says, but you should see their faces. Satan knows he's going to be exposed. And the most peculiar changes comes over the people's countenances. He says, because Satan is afraid. He knows that the Spirit of God is about to let the people know of his works. Thus Satan knows assuredly that the original church at Pentecost with the power of God, Mark 16 in action, is the true church that Jesus Christ claims as his own. All else is false and it has to be. Oh, praise be to God. Don't you love him? Oh, I could just go on and on and on. Forgive me, I'm having such a hard time closing because the word of God is so real, so pure, so true. Oh, he's wonderful. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. God will not reject your prayer. Praying makes you stronger. God will not reject your prayer. Praying makes you stronger. Oh, for I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Begging for bread enough to suffer. Just have patience. Just wait and see what God will do. When you lift up your hands in surrender. God will pull you through. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, worship, simply worship. If you are crying, worship. In your trials, worship. If you are hurting, worship. Nothing matters, worship. He will hear your Saying, let there be He's healing your wounds and setting you free. He's sending His angels, fighting from all sides. He's leading the way. Yes, He is the God. Trust in Him, He will never fail. He'll walk with you along life's rugged trail. Just lift up your hands. This is your victory day. Give Him the praise. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord, worship the Lord, oh, worship the Lord, worship the Lord, worship the Lord, worship the Lord, worship the Lord. 